Hey, 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 what is up, everybody? My name's MJ, and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine podcast. As usual, before we get started, I'm going to give a quick shout-out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. I'd also like to utilize this opportunity to give a huge shout-out and thank you to all the awesome people who support me over at patreon.com slash Quarantine. So huge round of thank yous to Mr. Big Benz, Anomaly, Nick S, Frugal Brutal, Jen of the Filthy MTG Casuals, and Coach Jero for supporting the show. If you'd like to help support the show and help me make more awesome content, head on over to patreon.com slash Quarantine for more information. Well, I mentioned this in an episode a week or two ago, and now it is here, and that is my personal recap of the Silicon Dynasty CEDH tournament that just went down in San Jose, California this past weekend. Obviously, it was a really awesome time, and I'm going to get into some of the nitty-gritty for you here, so you can basically live vicariously through me if you weren't able to be at the tournament. Anyway, a little bit of background, Silicon Dynasty was put on by Eminence Events, who have done some very, very popular uh, events here in the in recent time, and are definitely looking to get more out there. And yeah, it was a 160-player tournament this past weekend in San Jose, California, with a an, ele- or an $1,100 top cash prize for the winner, as well as some pretty hefty prizes for all of the top 16. 200 bucks may not sound like a lot, but for a CDH tournament, it's a really, really nice prize. So we're definitely starting to see a lot of prize support here for CEDH. Six-round Swiss, then cut to top 16, cut to top four, and then the winner ended up taking home $1,100 and the title of winner of Silicon Dynasty. So... Anyway, with that little bit of background out of the way, I'm going to go over how I did in the tournament. So, again, you've probably heard me talk about my love for Goto Bandit Warlord, Mono Red Helm Combo in CDH, and how that is my most played CDH deck. It's very easy to run. It works very well. It has some nice and interesting interactions, some stacks pieces, ways to deal with uh, removal on the stack, etc., etc. Very, very interesting deck, but... I decided I would go with actually a quite a different deck for this tournament because, again, the problem with Goto is that the deck usually gets bogged down if I'm not able to cast my commander or Helm is blown up, things like that. So instead of sitting around for five rounds, maybe not being able to do anything, I decided I wanted to go with a deck that was a little bit more mid-rangey. It would offer me some opportunities to play, do some different things I wouldn't normally get to do with Goto, and just try to stay in games. So I decided to go with Yuriko. And if you know anything about the Yuriko deck in the CDH decklist database, or just know about Yuriko in general, a lot of ninjas, a lot of very high CMC cards that you're trying to rip off the top, lots of top deck interaction, you know, just counter spells, um, yeah, some removal and whatnot. So... Basically, what I did was I took the stock deck database list, and then I moved some things around. I removed a couple of creatures, mostly ninjas, especially the ones that were higher CMC, and I added in, honestly, some more creatures that could attack or, you know, be unblockable. So I threw things in, like Miss Cloak Herald, which I don't believe was in the original list, as well as Jace's Phantasm, because obviously in CDH, you're going to have opponents after a couple turns who are going to have 10 or more cards in their graveyard. So being able to have a one-mana 5-5 five, five 
is a very relevant blocker, especially for a deck that is looking to land its commander and other ninjas and be able to rip cards off the top to damage your opponent's life totals. So in my list, I, I again, I ran most of the pieces that were in the existing deck list, but I did make some changes. I threw a lot of Delve cards in there because those have very high CMCs. Obviously, my graveyard is going to fill up through the course of the game, so I figured that being able to throw some Delve cards in there would not only hit my opponents for a lot of mana off the top, but they would also provide me with some value later in the game if I need something removed. So I was running right of undoing, which allows me to turn not target an online permanent. You control and target an online permanent. You don't control their owner's hands. Always useful for if someone's trying to get rid of Yuriko or one of my other pieces. Be able to bounce something of mine and something of theirs in response to some sort of board sweeper or target removal, etc., etc. Obviously, Submerge is a really good card. Uh, if your opponent controls a forest and you control an island, you may pay, play Submerge without paying its mana cost of four and a blue. And you put target creature on top of its owner's library. Really good for slowing down combos because that card doesn't get bounced to its owner's hand. So if someone's trying to go off on a dockside loop but doesn't can't draw a card immediately, Submerge puts the dockside or the other combo creature up on top of their library, making it harder for them to get it back. And again, the fact that you're playing in blue means you're probably going to be controlling an island. Again, you hope someone's playing a forest because green's a very popular color in CDH, but you never quite know. So again, this one's a little bit trickier, but the fact you can pay or you can play for free in a lot of cases is really nice. Um Again, there were there were a few things that uh, I did throw in on my own, again, that really weren't in the original list, uh, like Treasure Cruise, I don't believe was in there, a seven blue sorcery with Delve, draw three cards. Just a really, really good way to be able to try to refill my hand if I'm struggling. I threw Mystic Remora in here. Obviously, Fish is very good. I did, get, I did land Fish a couple of times during the tournament and, and just in the general games, and I was able to profit quite well off of it. So... Mr. Grimoire is really good, everybody, and again, it's never been cheaper, so if you're interested, definitely pick up a copy or two or ten of it. And yeah, I mean, it's pretty basic Yuriko list, honestly. I didn't make a ton of changes, just kind of, you know, changed some of the higher-end things in there, moved things around, changed up the creature suite a little bit. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty much the, the kind of Yuriko list you're going to be seeing, because I wanted to make sure, again, that I had a list that I could easily pick up going into the tournament, but that, that I knew I would be able to play fairly well. And, yeah, my, my tournament record was not very good. Ultimately, officially, I went 1-5 and five in the Swiss rounds. But, you know, that, that one win, unfortunately, was a buy. So, technically, if you want to talk about, card, uh, about games I actually played, I went 0-5 of the tournament. That being said, though, not all of those five losses were the same. For as many losses as I had where I didn't have interaction, I wasn't able to deal with what my opponents were doing, and I was kind of F6'd the whole time, there were other games where I was actually definitely in the thick of things. Obviously, I just didn't have enough gas to finish out the game. I think it was round four, I believe, where if I had made a slightly different play at the very end of the game... It's entirely possible I would have survived with a life or two and then been able to win on the crackback. So, I mean, I came very, very close to actually picking up a legitimate win for my record. So, I ultimately, I think what I got out of the tournament was, again, you're not going to win every matchup. Yuriko does horribly against combat stacks-focused decks like Najila, like Winota. And unfortunately, in one of my rounds, I had to deal with both simultaneously. And they were just... And then being in the fourth seat with Yuriko, just I can't get my attackers through, and I just keep getting bashed for ever more damage. It's just I can't, 
deal with this. So unfortunately, when I wasn't able to draw a board sweeper or just find the things I needed to be able to remove the threats, I just died very quickly. So, you know, again, that's what happens in tournaments where, you know, matchups are fairly random. There's not much else you're not, oh yeah, there's not much else you're going to be able to do about that. You just have to try to fight through it the best you can. Unfortunately, I kind of got screwed over, but you know, that, that happens in the tournament setting. Things happen. There's really no meta in CDH. So, you know, I'm trying to put my best foot forward, but you're not going to win every round. And I think that's the really cool thing about CDH is that we don't really have that meta. We don't have a quote-unquote best deck. As many times as people try to say, oh, Blue Farm is the best deck, or Malcolm X slash X is the best deck, or whatever. It, you know, it might be true for a certain standpoint, but if you look at the existing tournament results from major tournaments that have fired over the last year or two, there have been vastly different decks that have won those events. So, and and I don't really know if Blue Farm has actually won a single of one of those major premier events. So, to be honest, I think it demonstrates that it just kind of whoever gets hot at the right time, whoever has the right matchups and the right deck in the right moment can definitely go far. And again, there's a lot of luck and variance. A lot of people do unfortunately categorize CDH as having zero variance. And while sometimes it does feel like that, especially when you deal with Blue Farm or Nagila decks all the time, um, there's a lot of variance in how things go. Yes, you're able to rip through your decks. Yes, you have tutors. But again, you're still going to draw crap off the top of your deck sometimes. And, you know, that can really be the difference between you winning and just getting totally blown out of a game. So, yeah, w with that out of the way, I really think that it's it's important to say that though I did go 0-5, you know, most people in tournaments with the CDH, uh, CDH tournaments are going to end up with a sub-500 record. The fact, if you're able to go three and three, that means you beat three tables. And those three losses means you could have been second, third, or fourth in, in, in at the end of the final standings of each game. Again, it doesn't matter, but they count the same. So it ended up being a point system where five points were for a win, one point per draw, zero points for a loss. I did get five points, so I did technically end up top half. Obviously, I didn't quite feel like, I feel like I didn't quite earn it. But on the other hand, you know, being able to have a win next to my name looks pretty nice. So I'm, I'm not going to lie, having five eminence points looks really cool. And and the fact that, you know, I hung in a couple of the games there and potentially had a chance to win one, utilizing a deck that I'd only picked up, you know, earlier in the week for the first time, it's actually not all that bad. I think, I think as the tournament went on, I got more comfortable with the deck. I was able to do more things. And I was able to, you know, actually put up a fight in, in some of those pods, whereas other ones, I again, I just had no chance whatsoever. So, yeah, the, the tournament was all well and good. Obviously, there were a lot of really cool surprises in there. A big shout out to uh, Cal from Playing With Power for getting top 16. And, and, you know, yeah, just a lot of really cool magic that happened. The fact that a slicer deck from the Transformers Secret Lair actually made top 16 was really cool. I had the distinction of having sat next to the slicer player in my first pod. Obviously, we weren't playing in the same pod, but the fact that I got to actually see that card in the first round before it actually went off was really cool to then you know hear that by day two, that deck had already hit top 16. So, I mean, it's... It's really cool to see those kinds of rogue deck lists be able to be able to really make some waves in tournaments where people think that, you know, everything's been quote unquote solved, right? You know, I'm, I'm using my scare quotes here, but CDH is solved, right? No, 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 no. The fact that Slicer made top 16, I think, invalidates that whole thing. Yes, the best decks, the best pilots are probably going to make it, but 
when you see a rogue deck list in there, I think that for me personally is more of a casual player, more of a battle cruiser player. It really, it really warms my heart knowing that, uh, that someone was able to come up with a really cool concept and was able to pick up enough wins to make top 16. But yeah, obviously I didn't go to Silicon Dynasty just for the tournament. I was going to compete to test my skills against some of the best CDH players in the country, or at least in the region anyway. But honestly, I think that I had more fun on the things outside of the tournament than I did in the tournament at all. So I'm going to start off with my Commander Cube experience. So on night one, so of Saturday night after five rounds of CDH play for four rounds for me technically... Um, I was able, or I, I had the very great opportunity to be able to draft a commander cube, a very meticulously built commander cube uh, by Zeb. Again, I don't know if he's online. I would love to shout him out at some point if I could find his handle. So hopefully be on the lookout for that if I can ever track him or his cube down. But anyway, had an amazing time with that cube. It was so cool being able to look at cards that are, you know, are either banned in Commander, so there was a Paradox Engine, there was Gristle Brand, you know, just cards you're not going to normally be able to play in Commander with the existing Commander ban list were in that cube, and that was really cool. But also just you had the Masterpiece Invocations from Kaladesh, you had a bunch of Secret Lair Arts, Alternate Arts, Borderless Cards, etc., etc. The list just went on and on and on and on. And... Zeb did mention at one point that that cube cost more than $10,000 or, or was valued at more than $10,000. And I mean, that really blew me away because again, normally when you talk about a commander cube, yes, there could be some powerful cards in there, but you know, not all of them, especially not, are not all commander cubes. And again, just the, you know, having that much bling in one place was, was so crazy. And another one of the players was joking that uh, they were getting blinded by all the foils that they were looking at in, in, in the draft packs. It was just, so, so cool to do that. So myself and seven other players were able to draft this cube. We started off with a 15-card commander pack, which allowed us to really dig through a bunch of, you know, commanders, commander options, and then we had to build the rest of the deck by doing the draft, going through 75 cards. So we had a really nice experience trying to build a 60-card deck, just like the Commander Legends set back in 2020. And my deck turned out so well. Um, I my, my first pick out of my first pack was Kodama of the East Tree. And if you know anything about Kodama of the East Tree, it basically goes infinite with a ham sandwich, as people like to say. So Kodama is a, I want to say elemental. I'm, I'm actually going to look up. But anyway, Kodama, whenever a permanent enters the battlefield uh, under your control, you're able to drop another permanent onto the battlefield on the cast trigger, or on the, sorry, excuse me, on the play trigger, as long as that permanent has not entered due to Kodama's ability already. So Kodama just basically allows you to play a land and then just drop whatever you want out of your hand for free. So I saw that and I just said, okay, you know, this basically gives me an advantage engine for whatever else I want to do. It doesn't matter. This can go in the 99, but I really want to do this as a commander. So all of a sudden it's just, okay, it has partners. So what kind of partner can I put together with this card? And ultimately, what ended up happening was uh, a couple, yeah, a couple, couple packs later, I found the one and only Tevish Zot, Doom of Fools. And uh, it's a five-mana Planeswalker with a couple of plus abilities and then just absolutely devastating minus ability. But really what you want with Tevish are the plus abilities. So the first plus ability, you are, you are able to create two zero-one one thrill creature tokens, 
And the second one is you can sacrifice a creature, you draw two cards, or if you sacrifice another commander, you draw three cards. So <clears throat> I figured that when I had Tevish there, I'd be able to activate his ability, create two thralls, trigger Kodama twice, and then be able to drop two things from my hand onto the battlefield. So by the time I had finished the commander packs, I already knew I was locked into green-black to so go Golgari colors, and then I was on the lookout for a whole bunch of just busted giant creatures. And honestly, the picks I made did not disappoint one bit. So I, again, I have to get the picture up here because I was trying to uh, trying to remember what I was able to do, but there were just so many value cards in there. I was running Toski, so I was able to have a card advantage engine for whenever my creatures punch through for damage. I was running, and obviously I wasn't able to play all these in the game. I had Liliana Dreadhorde General in there, Platinum Angel, which allows you to not lose the game and your opponents can't win the game. I was running Massacre Worm, Kamal, Heart of Krosa for just a giant overrun effect. Um, just a bunch of big, powerful, scary creatures with amazing abilities that I could just drop at will due to Kodama's trigger. And what was really funny about it was actually one of the best, uh, one of the best things I found in that deck was a uh, Priest of the Forgotten Gods. It's actually a card that's been seeing a lot of play, I want to say in Pioneer lately. It's a it's a human cleric, I believe, costing one and a black, has a tap ability where you sacrifice two other creatures, then each number of target players you choose, each lose two life and have to sacrifice a creature, and you create two black mana and draw a card. Well, I found that if I could do that every turn by uh, using Tevish's ability to create two thralls, I was then able to sacrifice them, be able to drain the table for two damage, be able to force everyone to sacrifice a creature, which again, when you're playing a draft deck can be, excuse me, quite backbreaking unless you're able to build an army to can, right? And then, you know, generate two black mana, which is always really nice to have on the board, and then draw a card. So you're, you're kind of able to just utilize the two thrills off of Tevish's ability to, and turn them into just insane amounts of value every turn. So once I found that synergy, I was actually standing really pretty throughout most of the game, and almost won, lost to a Krakashima deck, which was just going off like crazy at the end of that game. But again, had a, was very close to winning. I, I drew like crap at the end of the game. I know it sounds like an excuse. It's just it, it's what happens. It's variance. I didn't have enough card draw to be able to deal with uh, deal with the Krakashima deck. But again, very happy with how that deck turned out, and it's definitely the emphasis for something I would potentially like to build later as more of a uh, a nitro casual deck, a very powerful casual deck, just because those two commanders together are absolutely bonkers with value. They synergize so well and allow me to have access to the colors that uh, of my first guild. I when, when I started Magic, I know I mentioned this, I was definitely a diehard Golgari mage, and the ability to play black and green again is, is, is definitely a, a big deal for me. So that, that was really cool. Another thing that I got to do on day two after I got eliminated from the tournament was do a Dominary Remastered Draft. Obviously, I missed that a couple a uh, week or two ago um, at my local LGS. But uh, again, I was able to do that at, at Silicon Dynasty. And, you know, I had some fun. I was able to crack three packs, play three rounds, of best of three. I went one and two. Um, you know, I, I won a matchup against a, a deck that just was not getting its lands. So, you know, if playing an aggro deck against that i was able to just keep pounding away at my opponent until i won the game um 
round two lost to a weird storm deck that just came out of nowhere to just bop you, which really sucked. And then round three, I don't quite remember exactly what it was, but you know, kind of an aggressive life gain deck, and I just wasn't able to deal with it. I I just drew like crap, and I just couldn't get anything going. Uh, highlights there was I did crack a Yawgmoth Thran position, which is really awesome. So, you know, that's a $17, $18 card. It helped me win one of my games and, you know, might go in a deck at some point. So it was really cool to be able to look at those cards, be able to pick up a copy of Chain Lightning, which if you've been listening to podcasts for a while, you know I really enjoy that card. I did a whole episode just on Chain Lightning. So it's nice to be able to get another one copy of that card for my collection out of the out of the draft, as well as some really cool little goblin synergies that, you know, might be useful for later. So definitely I'll file those ones away. But again, honestly, as great as those draft experiences were, I I didn't go to Silicon Dynasty for the tournament. I went for the social aspect. Again, I've talked about the social aspect so much on this podcast that you're probably sick of me uh, talking about it, but honestly, the social aspect is really what I want to get out of it because I'm not a great CDH player. I know that. I've only been playing, you know, regularly or not even really regularly for a year, year and a half, and it's just like I, I barely scratched the surface with this end of the format, but just the ability to go hang out with awesome people, meet other content creators and other luminaries in the community was just so, so awesome. I I met so many cool people that you know, my, my shout-out list is going to be really, really long to be able to do that. So a yeah, big shout-out to uh, Vile Smash Sean of the, over at the Woodland Deck House, Faded MTG, who I've had on the show before to talk about, Rionia Fire Dancer. I got to meet the one and only Ken Bowman, who was there, didn't quite make top 16, but definitely went off on a storm turn to win his round four, round five matchup there, which is just absolutely insane to watch him be able to pilot that. He is definitely the Karkashima master, the Karkashima god. And uh, yeah, even basically next leveled me on on picture with him where, you know, if, if Kark the thumbless, right, has no thumbs. And Ken gave kind of the thumbs up look, but he didn't raise his thumbs just like, Crark the Thumbless. So it, it was funny that I realized that later in the day that he had uh, next leveled me, and I, I told him that later, and he just got a real, I got a real kick out of that. So that, that was really cool. Um, yeah, got to meet a whole bunch of other people there. Again, got to see Cal from Playing With Power, who I'd run into at Summit. Didn't really get a chance to talk to him there. So um, got a chance to really talk to him more. Uh, Callahan from the Mind Sculptors, really awesome to be able to talk there. Um, so, so many cool people. Louis Stardust was there. Um, yeah, just, just so many awesome people that again, I'm, I'm going to forget a ton of people. So it, so it's almost better that maybe, maybe I try not to, to name everybody. Uh, Phoenix was there. Uh, also of the, also of the mind sculptors, I believe. Yes. Yes. Of the mind sculptors, as well as Josh, uh, from mind mental magic. I, I believe that's what MMM stands for. Really cool dude. Got a chance to play with him. I'll get to that in a moment here. Yeah. Just so, so many people. And, and again, there were a lot of people I didn't even get a chance to introduce myself to and, and, or talk with who, who are there luminaries in the community. And again, I just didn't get the chance to, to talk to, I, I wish I'd had, but you know, that, that's just the way it is at a tournament setting. You know, everyone's busy. Everyone's talking shop about whatever. It's a, it's a really exciting event. Even if you're doing really poorly at, at said event. Yeah. And again, want to 
really want to give a shout out to the one and only Shivam Bot of the Commander Advisor Group and now of the Rules Committee. I got a chance to play with him during my buy round in a game of casual, and he honestly, he kicked our ass, <laughs> really, with with his new Nera deck that was just vomiting value all over the board. And just there, there was nothing any of us could do to stop him. It was a an amazing game. He's an amazing guy. I'm so glad that I was able to meet him, get a picture with him, and just, you know, really be able to feel the love of casual magic there, e- even in a CDH tournament. Because, again, not everyone at the tournament there was super into casual magic, which is fine. I'm just saying is that I'm a casual player at heart. I play CDH sometimes, but it was really nice to be able to play a game of casual at a CDH tournament just because um, it, it, it validates that you can play EDH however you want. And Shivam is an amazing force in the community to to really promote casual play, casual mindset, et cetera, et cetera. And being able to, to jam a game and just talk and laugh with him was was pretty awesome. So I'm, I'm never going to forget that. Um, another awesome experience I had was actually after the tournament. I ran into both John and Jason from Kingdoms TV. I had never actually met them in person before, but I believe I played against them a couple years ago and I guested on the Kingdoms TV stream for Halloween 2020, I believe, or maybe it's 2021. But anyway, the fact that I got to meet them as well as Josh from MMM and get to jam a game with them for the Kingdoms TV channel is really amazing. So definitely be on the lookout. It was a very swingy game, CDH game, and I won't give anything away, but it was a very swingy game, and you'll definitely see me doing some things in that game. So it, it was not dead for me. It demonstrated my understanding of the Yuriko deck quite well, and yeah, very swingy. You don't really know what's going to happen until the final moment. It was it was awesome. Definitely be on the lookout for that episode when it gets released. I will mention that at some point on the show here. And yeah, I mean after after five rounds or you know six rounds for most people, but five rounds for me, a bunch of CDH games. I mean, really, what I want to get out of what I wanted to get out of Silicon Dynasty was, like I said, the social aspect. I wanted to talk to people. I wanted to make connections, and I definitely did that. I was able to go in and feel like I was on the same plane as all of the CDH masters who I was talking to, even though I definitely was not nearly as good piling my own deck as they were. Um, the fact that I felt like you know another member of the community was really awesome. That you know I I was going there to compete, but I was also someone there who's creating content and really spreading the good word of CDH. And that's really, I think, the biggest takeaway from the experience. My, my record doesn't really mean anything except in Eminence's fault, you know. It's my, my worth as a CDH player is not my overall win-loss record. I think that's sometimes the, the trap that some people can fall into when they talk about tournaments is that it's all about win-loss and success rates. And really, when it comes down to our casual EDH format, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose. I mean, all, sure, it's awesome if you win, but you don't have to always win. You can still lose a lot of games, but still have a ton of fun just playing and then just hanging out with people. I mean, I spend so much time just talking to people, hanging out, watching other games, just talking about CDH on the same level as folks who've been playing this part of the format for so many years and have just this mastery of seemingly everything. And here I come in as this kind of upstart uh, commander uh, content creator 
who's really trying to get into CDH, but again, doesn't have that experience in this end of the format and is just trying to learn. And it was really cool to, to hear that people were very supportive of that. So again, I'm going to utilize this opportunity to shout out everyone who I met there and also to you as the listeners is that, again, please give CEDH a try if you're interested in playing with super powerful cards at the game's highest level. I mean, it is very fun and a very challenging experience to try to go through this because it's basically a puzzle. You have to try to figure out every last little bit of what you're trying to do. You have to always plan ahead, but also have backup plans available should something happen. It's basically casual on steroids, right? You have to really think about so many different things that it, it basically takes the game to another level. And I really enjoy having it as a conduit for my more competitive nature. Um, so, so when I really want to push the the challenge level to the maximum, I play CDH. And if I want to kind of take a chill, I'll play more casual. So yeah, that that's really where I am with CDH. It was awesome being able to go to the tournament, meet a lot of people, see a lot of people talk a lot about magic for even just 48 hours. And I do not regret one bit about, about that weekend. So it was a weekend well spent. Uh, my money was well spent. I got to have a lot of fun, got to meet a whole bunch of people, get a whole bunch of pictures, and actually picked up my own copy of Rionia, signed by the only one faded MTG, as well as a couple old, border, old bordered soul rings and a Yacht Moth. So yeah, really awesome time. I hope I'll be able to go again next year if they hold it again, or maybe uh, another event wherever it is in the future. So definitely be on the lookout for Eminence Gaming, or sorry, excuse me, Eminence Events. And definitely look for uh, events in your area, in your region, et cetera, et cetera. They're, they're great people, and I hope to be able to participate with them again. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, you can check out all of the CDH content on my channel over at, you know, on Spotify, Google, Apple, Player FM, Rocketcast, Overcast, Breaker, a million other major podcast outlets. But again, if you find, again, I'm on most major podcast outlets, so you'll probably be able to find me there. Just look for the happy-looking Ulamog wearing a pair of headphones. You can also find me on the Twitter at, at MTG in quarantine. Also, if you want to help support the channel, you can go on over to patreon.com slash quarantine, sign up there, and help me continue to grow this awesome channel to bring you more content just like this. And again, I have to give a huge shout-out to my existing patrons here who are Mr. Big Benz, Anomaly, Nick S., Frugal Brutal, Jenna the Filthy MTG Casuals, and Coach J. Rowe. Again, if you want to help support the channel and help me make more awesome content like this for you, definitely go over to patreon.com slash quarantine for more information. And again, I hope you enjoyed listening today's, to today's episode. My name's MJ. Have a great rest of your day, everybody.